And this morning, as we study together, uh, we've been moving through this sequence of qualities of love. James read this text for us, so I don't want to read the whole text again necessarily, but what I do want to look at is kind of where we are at in the sequence. And so when you look at 1 Corinthians 13, we've talked about how love is patient. We've talked about how love is kind and love does not envy or boast. We talked about how love is not arrogant and love is not rude. And so this morning, depending on which Bible you're reading from, you're going to see something like love does not insist on its own way or love does not seek its own. Um, Some translations say that. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning is this concept of biblical or godly love not seeking its own and the way i phrased it just to kind of keep these titles consistent is love is not self-seeking that's the way i've titled this um and when we say it like that like when when i read love does not insist on its own way i think that's true to self-seeking those are the same ideas but to me that's not as clear as hearing self-seeking another way that we often define kind of this idea of self-seeking would just kind of be selfish right i put me first and that's really all i mean by this idea of self-seeking as much as i could tell from the meaning of this word in the text that's really what it is is this idea that you put yourself first and we're going to see obviously for most of us in this room we know this that the bible doesn't talk about a kind of love that is self-seeking that puts me number one right and really what we've been talking about is we've talked about love from first corinthians 13 is the definition of love in this text the greek word for love in this text really tells us in itself that it's not that Um, this agape word really as we've been talking about is affection or benevolence uh, brotherly love and we've talked about in every lesson how the love in this text is not a feeling it's a choice You choose to show agape or love, affection for someone. And it's not even like a choice you make one time, right? Um, As much as you interact with people, it's not even a daily choice. It's kind of a moment-by-moment decision, right? Am I going to love this person now? Am I going to love this person in this conversation later? Am I going to love this person in the way I act towards them tonight, right? It's kind of a moment-by-moment decision-making. I'm going to choose to show affection or love to someone. And so in 1 Corinthians 13, here we are. Love does not insist on its own way. And I, from the rest of this lesson, I'm going to call it self-seeking. So just heads up. Um, There's a couple points that I I intend to make throughout the lesson. I'm just going to go ahead and give them to you now so that as we go, you can kind of maybe... Keep those in your head and follow along that way. And I, I've made this point almost in every lesson through this series. And the first point that I want to make is this idea of self-seeking and the idea of love. They don't mingle. They don't coexist. Right? Any quality that you see in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is not, it's because they're incompatible. And that's true of self-seeking. It's not because they're inappropriate it's like oil and water they just don't mix right and that's the first point i'm going to want to make the second point uh, is helping us see what it looks like when we're self-seeking 
And I'm going to give us some kind of examples from the Bible of what self-seeking looks like. And then the third thing that I want us to look at is uh, how do I overcome being self-seeking, right? How do I overcome that in my life? And that'll be kind of the end of the lesson. After that, we'll just have some conclusions. So those are kind of the three big areas I want us to look at. Um, So first of all, with this self-seeking and love not being able to coexist, I was talking to Kirby about this a little bit. She helped me kind of solidify some ideas on this. Um, But if you turn to Luke 17, 33, Luke 17, verse 33, what I did was when I was looking at this idea in 1 Corinthians of love does not seek its own, I I was looking at kind of what it means to seek its own uh, biblically, and I came up with a bunch of verses in the Bible that use the same word of seeking. And then I just kind of looked at their context, like what are we seeking? What are we not seeking? Just trying to flesh out this idea biblically. And this is one of the verses that came up and it says in Luke 17, verse 33, whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. That's the same word from 1 Corinthians 13 that seeks. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will preserve it. And I was trying to chew on this. I was like, what exactly does this mean? Because I think there's a couple ways that you can maybe look at this. Obviously, in your Bibles, you can kind of see the context. I'm not focused on the context right now. Just kind of this statement in and of itself. Um, Kirby pointed this out to me. and I was kind of already thinking along these lines, but it's helpful. In Luke 13, verse 30, it reads, And behold, some some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. I think this is a similar type statement statement. Um, Perhaps this is saying that those who seek their life, right, seek to keep their life, you're prioritizing self, so to speak, right? I'm going to look out for me, right? In Luke 17, you're going to lose that endeavor, right? When you seek that kind of way, it says that you'll lose that life, but whoever loses his life will preserve it. So maybe it's that idea of those who are first or last, last or first kind of concept in Luke 17. And so if, that, if that's the way that Luke 17 reads here, we can begin to see how being self-seeking and being loving don't really work out, right? They don't really mix in that text. Um, but turn to Luke 10. This is kind of a big part of this that I want to see. Um, Luke 10. So why does, you know, kind of seeking my best interest keep me from the love of God? Which is really what 1 Corinthians 13 is about, right? If you want to experience the love of God and then practice that in your life, which is what I think 1 Corinthians 13 is, right? You need to not be self-seeking. I think Luke 10 is helpful with this. Luke 10 verse 27. And it reads... And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This text shows me that love cannot be self-seeking. It can't be self-interested primarily because uh, to experience the grace of God, right? We sometimes phrase it that way. To experience the love of God uh, leaves no place really for my own will. Did you notice in that text it doesn't say like love yourself 
Some people translate the very end of this, love your neighbor as yourself, like teaching that you have to have a self-love to love your neighbor. I don't really think that that's the idea here. I think um, when he says love your neighbor as yourself at the end of this text, it's not teaching self-love and then have your actions of your neighbor kind of reach that pinnacle. Treat them like your own, you know? And so when we look at this text, we see that God doesn't leave much place for me as number one. It really says, seek the Lord, number one. And everything kind of pours out of that, right? When I learn to love God and His will, which we'll talk about more in a, in a little bit later, then I kind of begin to understand what it really is to love, right? And when I learn love that way, what place does it leave for self-seeking? It doesn't really leave much place, if at all, right? And so we begin to see that these are just a few places. There's one more place, Philippians chapter 2. I think I was joking with Kirby. I've used this text in every single love lesson. But because very quickly um, it puts love in a very practical terms because we know the story of Jesus. Without saying the word love, we see love in this text. So in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 9, I'm going to read this again. I'm going to reference this once more in this lesson. Um, but listen to it here. I think that this is how Jesus, kind of a, a synopsis of how Jesus shows us that love excludes self, right? It does by nature. And so look at this text, Philippians 2 verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, love's never mentioned in that text, right? But does it have to be? Like We know from so many other places and we know from God's character First uh, John chapter 4, verse 18, right? God is love. And so when he does something like this, when he leaves a perfect place and a place he's actually appreciated, right, as he ought to be, and comes as in the form of a slave, essentially, right? He does all this. It doesn't have to be said. We see love in this, right? We see it. And so I think this shows us that love of self self-seeking, right, and love are really not the same thing. Um, and so I liked this, uh, this comment I saw, and I wrote it down here. Self-seeking love is the antithesis of God's love. And that's really what I've been trying to say in this when I say that they can't coexist. It's that they're opposites. If I love myself first, then I don't love the way God loves. And Philippians 2 shows us that he even put himself aside to love us, right? Okay, so there's a lot more that could be said about this idea that love and self-seeking don't really mingle. They don't coexist. They're oil and water. But we're going to move on because I think we understand that for the most part. So what does self-seeking look like? 
That's kind of the big question, right? Um, and a lot of times it comes across in ways that don't scream self-seeking, like, oh, I'm selfish, right? Um, but I think even if we just stick to the book of 1 Corinthians, we're going to see ways it manifests itself. I think that's probably the primary. We studied 1 Corinthians, I don't know, like a year ago or something. I mean, it was at least a year ago. Um, and I think that the kind of primary mover of the book of 1 Corinthians and why there's so many problems is that the church there was acting selfishly. Um, and so I want to kind of just offer this, and this is going to involve a lot of reading and less comments from me, but I want you to kind of, if you want to follow along in your Bible, this is great. We're just going to move through 1 Corinthians, the whole book, um, just kind of sections, just reading, reading kind of excerpts from the book. Um, actually, in the first reading I want to do is from chapter 3. So I'm going to suggest to you that self-seeking just from the book of Corinthians, which is where 1 Corinthians 13 is coming from, right? This is why he talks about love so much is because they are self-seeking. Um, beginning in chapter 3, I think he shows us that self-seeking looks like division. Like you start in chapter 1, some are of Paul, some are of Apollos, some are of Cephas, some are of Christ, and he goes into that whole conversation about what it means to be strong and weak and like how God turned all that on its head. And you get to chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? I think this is the manifestation of self-seeking in one way. They're dividing, right? And so I think what we could say from this is being self-seeking makes you fleshly and weak. That's what Paul's saying. Because their self-interest has divided them and they haven't grown, they're still chewing on the milk. And so self-seeking manifests itself in division which can manifest itself or does manifest itself in us being fleshly and weak. That's just practical terms of what it looks like to be self-seeking. We divide and we become weak. Another way that self-seeking appears is turn to chapter 4, and I'm going to suggest that there's several instances of this through 1 Corinthians. Self-seeking looks like bad attitudes, and that's a broad brush, right? Just bad attitudes. But chapter 4 shows us bad attitude, uh, bad attitude towards Paul specifically for them, right? So maybe for us, we might look at it this way. Bad attitude towards teachers, right? Authority figures. We might look at it that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time. But we wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's heart. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Now that's just an excerpt. But I think there's a lot of question about Paul. There's a lot of questioning his authority. There's a lot of questioning his teaching. 
and it, I think it goes back to this self-seeking, right? And there's a lot to say about that, but I think these selfish attitudes have made them question Paul's integrity, made them question his motivations. And so now they have a bad attitude towards Paul, and he's having to, we might say, pseudo-defend himself here. Uh, Chapter 6. When we're self-seeking, it not only gives us bad attitudes towards our teachers or our authority types, uh, but also it gives it uh, just towards each other, just kind of the body of the group, right? We just kind of have bad attitudes towards one another. Chapter 6, verse 4. So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between this brethren? But brother goes to law with brother and that before unbelievers. In the book of Corinthians here, the the brethren are just suing each other for selfish reasons. That's what it looks like to be self-seeking. Now, I'm saying this is a bad attitude between brethren, but I mean, we see so much more here that self-seeking does. You could even attribute this to some type of division, right? Uh, When brethren are self-seeking, we'll do things like sue each other, right? Go to chapter 11. I'm going to suggest to you that chapter 11, at least with a broad paintbrush is bad attitude and worship because they're self-seeking look in chapter 11 verse 17 but in giving this instruction i do not praise you because you come together not for the better but for the worse for in the first place when you come together as a church i hear that divisions exist among you and in part i believe it for there must also be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another's drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? And this I will not praise you. So again, this self-seeking attitude is affecting worship, right? The Lord's Supper was meant to be taken by all and served to all and taken in fellowship. But the self-seeking attitudes had driven that out, right? Some were taking all, some were taking none. There was division and factions even in the worship, right? That's what self-seeking does. Chapter 14. When we're self-seeking... We have bad attitudes towards spiritual gifts is what chapter 14 is about. I'm going to suggest to you just towards our abilities and our gifts that we may have today. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking. Yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people. And even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're mad? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. 
He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Now, in verse 12 of this chapter, he, he talks about how really gifts are not to be used selfishly or with an attitude of self-seeking, right? That you should use your gift in a way that is most edifying to the church. And that's where this kind of passage comes into play that I was just reading, that some people are just doing it to do it, right? Like they have the ability to prophesy, not considering like who in the audience it might help. And what does that mean? They're doing it for selfish reasons. They're doing it to seek their own, right? Like I have this ability and I'm going to exercise it because it's going to make me feel good and it's going to look great, right? You can imagine those attitudes are there. So self-seeking even in their gifts. We do that though too, don't we? Like what abilities do you have? Have you ever like misused them for like selfish reasons? That is seeking your own. And you're sharing kind of with the Corinthians in that, if you do that. So those are just some plain ways from Corinthians that I think like on a broad level, there's division. When we're self-seeking, we divide, right? More specifically, it conjures or develops bad attitudes and all of these things that we've talked about uh, toward authority figures or teachers in our worship, towards our abilities or gifts. And ultimately, being self-seeking in the book of Corinthians leads to sin. Um, I think, really, in any of the places we looked at, you could argue that these things were sin. But I want to look at in chapter 5. There's kind of this explicit thing that's a problem that causes division because of self-seeking, but it's actually a division that's necessary because um, the one who's so selfish is causing a rift that needs to be there. Uh, In chapter 5, we have this man who sleeps with his father's wife. Uh, In in chapter 5, in uh, verse 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you, or from your midst. Sin is just selfish by nature, right? Like, this guy wanted, for whatever reason, to fulfill whatever lust he had for this woman. So he did, right? Isn't that kind of the bottom line of being self-seeking? It's like when something like this comes along and you really want to do it, if I've developed a personality of being that way, I'm going to do it. Regardless of what it means for other people, because now look at what the rest of the body has to do. They have to draw lines and they have to separate, right? We were talking about division at the beginning of the chapter that they wanted to make. I don't imagine this was a division they wanted to make. In fact... Look at what he says about the rest of the group that's having to react to this guy in verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sanctified. Therefore let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Apparently... They were just kind of accepting that this was happening. So on one hand, you have how self-seeking 
can lead to kind of this immorality or whatever sin that you want to seek. If all you're doing is self-seeking, you're going to find that thing. But on the other hand, if kind of the party or the surroundings of the one in sin are also self-seeking, they're just going to kind of accept that. And Paul is saying, like, in a sense, there's a boasting about that. Like, and I think what he means by this is, you think that this won't affect you? That's kind of boastful, right? You need to understand that a little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? And so maybe whatever selfish reasons or self-seeking reasons they have for not dealing with this is also going to be a sinful thing. And so when you read 1 Corinthians, do you walk away feeling like this church has things together? No. And I would suggest to you that it's because fundamentally they're self-seeking. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Verse 23, or verse 33, sorry. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. That kind of, in a way, I feel like summarizes the core teaching that the Corinthians needed to hear, right? Like if you go all the way back to chapter one, verse 10, he tells the Corinthians, I want you to be of the same mind and of the same judgment. Do you know what happens if you're self-seeking? However many bodies are in that room, that's how many judgments and opinions there are if you're self-seeking. But if you can learn to love, which is the antithesis of being self-seeking, if you can love you're going to be able to put on this teaching of 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 14, 12, I already mentioned this. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. That's love, right? So how do I overcome self-seeking? How do I overcome selfishness? Uh, I think... The corrective action to self-seeking is God-seeking. I think if you can stop looking at yourself for a moment and start looking to God, that's going to begin to correct the course. Um, and so what I mean by that is Acts 17. I think this is a good passage. I've used this passage in the last couple of weeks a lot, I feel like. Um, but if you go to Acts 17... I think this shows us that God wants this in a very plain way. Um, in Acts 17, verses 26 and 27, Paul's speaking to those in Athens, and he says this. And, and picking up in verse 26, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. That's God. Having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God. Now look at what happens if you do that. If perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. The beginning to fixing this self-seeking attitude is to start groping and looking for God. Because the promise is that, one, he's discoverable, and two, he's actually not as far away as you may feel like he is. Right? It says that he's not far from each one of us. 
So the beginning, if, you, if you're seeing in your life that you're self-seeking, start doing what Paul said. Just start looking for God. Just try to find him someplace, right? Now, obviously, there's a lot to be said about how to flesh that out and what it means to look for God. But in John 5, verse 30, it reads this. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will. This is Jesus saying this, but the will of him who sent me. That's Jesus saying that, you know, he loves God, right? And so there's a sense in which he's even putting away his own will to seek the will of God, right? Continuing in verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? I think Jesus... (laughs) kind of lays out for us, if you only have self-interest, if you're only self-seeking, you're not going to seek God because there's glory to be found elsewhere. It's kind of what he's saying. He's just kind of leveling that out. There is glory to be found elsewhere. But if you're like Jesus and realize that you just want glory from God, he said that he does not seek his own, but the will of him who sent me. And that's kind of Acts 17 in a nutshell, right? If you want that, start seeking and groping and finding him. The remedy, ultimately, when we say, all right, if I don't want to be self-seeking, I need to be God-seeking, that starts to move us towards something. And I, the, the, the foundation of this lesson is 1 Corinthians 13. I think the more we actually start to do that, we seek God, we do end up seeking love, Right? Like, when we start to see God, we start to see love. And so really we go from self-seeking to seeking love, so to speak, right? God is love. And so I feel like the corrective action you take is to begin seeking God, but the remedy to being self-seeking is love, right? So it's much like if you go, if you're sick, what's the corrective action, yeah, go to the doctor and get medicine, right? You might say medicine's the corrective like thing. Go get medicine. But it's like just any medicine, the cure. Right? And that's kind of what I'm saying is like you go to God, you go to the doctor, but his prescription is this idea of this love. Right? Self-seeking, you begin to correct that by going to God. But the thing that he's going to give to you that overcomes this idea of like you being selfish and self-seeking is love. And so that's where 1 Corinthians 13 comes back in. Uh, when you look at verse 1, it says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor... And if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Zero. And then, like we read this morning, verse 4 begins, love is patient. So when we start looking for God, and we find Him, and we start saying, all right, what is this love thing? First of all, we need to know anything we do in life is pointless without love. And he, He lays that out in three different ways here in these verses. But then... Once you understand that, that's when he starts showing, okay, look for this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not rude. Love suffers long, right? And then we get to this. Love is not self-seeking. 
Turn to Philippians 2. This is kind of the last main passage that I want us to read. And we'll be done. Philippians chapter 2. We read verses 5 through 9 before. We saw what Jesus did, right? Took on the form of a bondservant, came down in the likeness of men. Uh, But I want us to look at verses 1 through 4, so kind of the paragraph that leads to that. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out, right? That's kind of the idea of self-seeking. Don't merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. That's before we even learn about where this is going. Verses 5 through 9 tell us about how Jesus did that. Jesus did it with love, right? Jesus did it with God's will. And so when we consider, man, I'm noticing our church is divisive. I don't think that's true here, but maybe at some point in life you can look back and think on a church that was, or maybe somewhere later in life you'll be in a church that there's some of that. That's selfish. Now, it may not be fun to figure out who is selfish, right? Like, who's being selfish? But the core of that is they are self-seeking, right? Because Jesus wasn't self-seeking, we have the gospel, right? His best interest was to, like, stay in heaven. (laughs) That's where we're all trying to desperately get to. Why would he leave, right? But for us, because Jesus was loving and doing what was in our best interest and doing what was in God's will, we have hope. So if you aren't a Christian, uh, listen to this. This is from Matthew 18. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search or seek, same word there, the one that is straying? Luke 13. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. So if you're not a Christian, I would suggest you two things. One, know that God seeks you out. That's kind of the example Jesus gives us about. He leaves the 99 and he goes and seeks the one. But also at the same time, there's a seeking you have to do and that's for the narrow way. That's that door. Many seek it, but few find it. If you are a Christian, which I suspect is pretty much everyone in this room this morning, think about this, Colossians 3.1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Maybe that's our challenge in this room this morning is we're Christians, but sometimes we let that self-seeking kind of slip back in, right? Well, my encouragement to you and really to myself is to keep seeking the things above, which is God, right? Keep seeking God, seek less of self. Every day it's a challenge to seek less of self and seek more of the things above. Um, 
So maybe that's what you need to hear this morning is be less self-seeking. Uh, so hopefully this lesson was helpful for you. Um,